Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast, produced by the Small Biz Thoughts Technology Community, with your hosts, Amy Babinchek, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. We're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Hi, this is Carl Polichuk, and I am joined today by my, always my co-host, Amy Babinchek, and sometimes my co-host, Mr. Josh Liberman. Welcome. Hey, Carl. Hey, thank so you. Today, we want to talk about working remotely. And, uh, you know, I'd, we'll start by saying that I invited these two because of their different experiences. So Amy's business is designed to be run remotely. Uh, she has a home office, obviously, and one person who works with her in the office all the time. And then she's got processes and procedures to make sure everything works appropriately for all of the rest of her workers. Uh, Josh, on the other hand, has had an office, uh, bought a new one, I guess, a couple of years ago, bought the building anyway, and um, has recently had to send his folks home to work. So two very different experiences. Um, so Amy, let me just start with you and just talk about um, what's the most important thing about working in an environment that's 100% remote, since that's what you've been doing for years? Um, well, in ordinary times, I think the most important thing is to find ways that your staff still feels like they're part of the company, like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And we do that by having online meetings like this. Uh, and we have we do have an in-person meeting every week as well. So um, that kind of helps us maintain that business sense like you're you're part of the company you're not just off on the side doing your own thing um, we also have a in teams we have a an ongoing water cooler chat kind of place and one of the interesting things that happened we've had that for a long time but one of the things that happened when uh, when this whole stay-at-home order started and, and they they weren't traveling out to client offices at all um, they started to all post in the morning at 8.30, which is our official start time. All of a sudden, everybody now posts a good good morning message. That's interesting. And um, so they're actually much more chatty uh, in their Facebook water cooler space, Facebook, their, their uh, team's water cooler space than they ever were before. That was spontaneous? Uh, anyway. Spontaneous, spontaneously <laughs> formed, yep. And uh, I found that very interesting that, you know, once they're confined at home, they feel more of a need to chat with their coworkers, even though they always worked at home before. Right. So, uh, and how many workers are we talking about? Eight. Eight. So when they meet live once a week, is that at your house, at your office? Yeah. Yep. They come to, to my office, which is in the basement. And basically I have a long conference table down here and we all gather around and we do, um, basically training together, go over client issues, that kind of thing. So we, uh, we always have food as well. So we order, we order dinner in or breakfast in, depending on, we alternate one week morning, one week evening. So, but it helps build the culture. Right. Yep. I think building the culture is really key for full-time work at home. Right. Um, and Josh, what's been your experience of uh, starting in the office and kicking everybody out? <laughs> Well, they were happy to kick themselves out about six weeks ago. I've had one fellow who, for probably a year, I should have had him working remotely. It's the ideal situation for him. He's not a good 
team body. He's a good, excellent worker, very committed and very driven, but he just has, he struggles in groups of people and he's doing great. And actually everybody's doing fine. We had the advantage of being able to work remotely before and had done some scattered remote work, but everybody that comes on board gets a notebook computer, a PC if they want it. Uh, they also get a, a cell phone, a firewall, all the services turned up, internet service if they don't already have it. It's all part of the deal. So we, were, we had all that in place. So the transition really came down to taking their voice over IP phone home from their desk. And it's a hosted VoIP system, so there's really nothing else they need to do other than find an Ethernet jack. I bought a couple of extra flat panels so people had more panels at home like they have at work. But the transition wasn't hard. Uh, half a day, right? And, and Monday morning to afternoon. And they worked remotely before? Well, each of them had done some remote work before. I want to separate this discussion of work from remote to work any, and work anywhere. So work from remote typically means work from home from most people. But the work from anywhere is the thing I've done for at least a decade. I think in Colombia, you and I were crossing the Andes when you heard me have a discussion with a guy over the phone. And when I hung up, you said, well, you you have your whole business run by remote control. And I realized pretty much that's the case. Right. It's about four or five years ago. Uh, <laughs> that was right before the GPS started yelling at us to turn left, you know, and plunge to your death. <laughs> <laughs> we turned it off, put it in the glove box, but it had a momentary on switch. So every hard right dink and then turn left. Anyway, uh, it's, it was an easy transition. That's the easy part, though, and I think Amy's going to talk a little more about the productivity aspect, but technically getting people to work remotely, even though they have firewalls, by the way, we don't do site-to-site VPN. We used a proxied RDS service because it's cleaner and safer, and I'll talk about that later as we go on. But the tech part of just getting them connected was actually quite easy. All right. So, you know, one of the things is, I guess at the very beginning, you got to hire the right people. And I personally have for about 10 years now run a business where I'm always, <laughs> I'm, I'm remote probably 80% of the time in a normal month. And uh, my employees usually come into the office, even when I have a real office and not in the home, uh, one or two days a week. So I, I just have built a business where it's designed, I want them in here enough to build the culture and at home enough that you know, they're not tripping all over each other. Um, but I found that hiring the right people is huge. And uh, Amy, uh, you mentioned something about that on Facebook uh, last week. Yeah. So when we're doing job interviews, right, and I'm hiring techs, basically. So when I'm doing job interviews for techs and you know, I'm telling them about the job, I always, I always talk to them about work from home, if they have worked from home, kind of what their experience has been. Um, kind of they need to also tell me a little bit about what their home office looks like right some people have a space for one some people don't um, and I and I always tell them like if anyone's going to fail at this job it's because they will fail to to be productive while working at home because nobody's work looking over their shoulder um, I'm 
anything but a micromanager. Nobody's going to give them a task list for the day and say, here's all the things you have to do today. Um, they have to be the kind of person that just wakes up in the morning, gets dressed, goes to their computer, turns it on, sits down, starts to work, and knows what they need to get done for the day and starts doing it without someone having to sit there and tell them to do it. So the, the work from home person has to be much more self-motivated right. than the person that comes into the office and, you know, realizes someone's going to be there looking at them if they don't, you know, someone is really going to notice if they slack off that day. It's funny to me, uh, in all the Zoom meetings we've all been in, <laughs> I've been shocked at how many people actually start with a discussion of, okay, is everybody wearing pants today? It's like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It's never really been an issue for me when I've been working at home for the last 25 years. Yeah, no, getting up in the morning, getting dressed, get you, it, it actually helps your psyche to get up in the morning, get dressed like you're going to work, sit down, do your thing, right? All yeah. the same stuff you would do in the office, that's exactly what you do in your home. Right. I started working from the home in 1996 all the way through 2004, I believe. And I had a very rigid routine, which included pants, taking care of the animals, breakfast, workout. And I've been working out of the house for 16 years, and it's precisely the same routine. I mean, the drive to work used to be 10 seconds. Now it's five minutes. But, you know, I used to change rooms. Nowadays, I've got to drive 1.9 miles. But the routine stays the same. And even during this whole COVID-19 madness my routine has varied very very little as a matter of fact i still spend almost the same amount of hours in the building each week but i'm here alone so that's a little different but so, so you are going to the office i am because we're still receiving mail we're still sending mail we're still receiving and sending packages to a certain extent uh so that's part of it i've had two or three people drop off notebooks and tablets for repair or cleanup uh, we happen to have a separate entry area. I used to call it the atrium. Now I call it the airlock. People drop stuff off in there and they leave and I come out there and pick it up, clean it off carefully, uh, and then take my radiation suit off. But, you know, the, the routines, uh, one of the things that's always a major routine for me is making the bed. And it sounds ridiculous, but all the way back to my exposure to the military, the that idea of make your bed when you first get up, you'd be surprised how many people skip that detail. And I know it sounds stupid, but it gives you a win in the first 60 seconds. So I, I wake up, stretch, read three or four minutes of news on the phone, an email newsletter, uh, and get out of bed and make the bed. And that's my first five minutes of each day. That hasn't changed. I don't know if my guys do that. I don't ask, but I do insist that they at least get down in front of their machine at eight o'clock. We're an eight to five firm when we're still an eight to five firm. They, they need to be logged in. I need to see if their presence on teams and their phones go off the do not disturb. And we go from there. Um, uh, Amy, do you think that uh, you, your tools allow you to monitor the productivity of your employees or do you just look at the number of tickets they've closed or do you not look at anything? Um, I look at their productivity um, by, the, by the tickets that they submit. So our clients do not create tickets, my staff creates tickets. 
So whatever it is that they're working on, they create the ticket for it and they, you know, say what they did and the amount of time they spent on it and they submit it. Uh, so that that is that ultimately that is the measure of productivity. Um, we're not looking at them every minute of the day or at the end of each day to see how much they did for that particular day, but we do look at it at the mid-month point and the in the end of month point, and then you kind of see them flowing in through the day as well, right? Because they get they get sent in, so and they pass through my inbox as they're doing that. Um, so I'm not necessarily reading those things, but it just would sort of, it would notice if they were missing, right? Right. <laughs> it's kind of like the pulse. Yeah. This regular flow of emails. So even if you never read them, you know that they're doing stuff. Yeah, I think there you have to have some kind of a some kind of pulse there to to have an idea that you know things are things are still happening. Everybody's still okay. Work, work is work is going on, even though I don't see the work happening. I'm confident that the work is is going. And you know, I mentioned earlier in hiring people that I I tell them that they could fail by being bad at work from home. And I would say about 40% of people are just not cut out to work from home. They don't have that, they don't have that drive. They just can't get up in the morning and start themselves. They, they have to have someone do it for them or they need that social atmosphere of being around other people in the office environment. There's something missing. And I, I have given up on trying to figure out what it is. <laughs> I will just find the right person. Um, but there's something missing for them that they, they just can't be productive when they're working from home. And right now, our, our clients are reporting the same thing. And for them, it's worse because, right, we plan to work from home. I plan for my right. people to work from home. And like Josh says, we supply certain things, phones and internet access. And uh, my folks supply their own laptop, but all the software and tools they need to do their job and that kind of thing. Um, but my my clients, they just one day had to send all their people home and right. made this grand assumption that what they were going home to would be a home office where they would be able to do work. And turns out it's a dining room table with one eight-year-old computer that's being shared by four people in the house because the kids need to go to school on it and the two parents need to do work on it and productivity is just not there right <laughs> so have you since since the clients are now home and that's not something you planned for in your business mm -hmm. uh have you noticed any change in your employees productivity when they're dealing with people who are not used to working at home um no i think that i i think as far as our end of it goes it's okay um, in the beginning, when we had to help them get set up to work from home, that was that was a lot of work in a short amount of time. You know, everybody needed to get that home computer that was not in any condition to be a work machine right. to function as a work computer, at least as well as we could make it happen. Um, and so, you know, depending what what the resources that the business had, that you know that remote access happened in different ways. How far along are they in their cloud journey? What kind of infrastructure did they have back at the, uh, all those, all those variables. And then, you know, add on to that, dusting off the old home computer to try to make it work for the purpose. 
The worst one was a 12-year-old Mac. Oh. It was three operating systems away from being able to use RDP. <laughs> it was so it'd be great for, for one video game. Um, so we, our, our very first PC we had to hook up remotely was a 14-year-old PC that had been upgraded from XP to 7 to Windows 10, and it was in the home of the CEO of our largest client, which is a $15 million company. And it's been shocking to see that it's the, it, it is often the top management and owners of these companies that have the worst home office experiences. They don't they, care. I mean, they're not, they're, they're not planning to work remotely as part of it. So I, Carl, if you don't mind, I want to jump into the security aspect because you just sure. you kind of opened that door with the discussion of the home workspace. So Amy, you're right. People work on tables or you know, patio tables or dining room tables. And of course, because of what's going on now, they also have children in the home. They, they suddenly value their teachers quite a bit more because now they're the kindergarten cops. But the other issue for me as an IT security guy is the fact that they're on, on a dirty machine, almost certainly poorly policed, if at all, frequently without AV because people think that, you know, I just renewed that five years ago, things like that. And of course, on shared profiles that their kids use to, and you know, the, I had a guy call today and he said, well, my son is 13 years old. Do you think it's safe for him to use my new work PC? And I said, I got an easy rule of thumb. Get him drunk and hand him the keys to your Corvette. And um, if you think that's safe, then yes, it's safe for him to do his work on your, you know, your profile on your machine. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, if he was 10, he probably wouldn't get drunk and he might not steal the car. And if he was 21, he shouldn't be at home. But 13-year-old yeah, you know. boys never get into trouble on the internet. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Daniels or Corvettes, but he... Basically, oh, by the way, that you can drive with a permit here at 14. So 13 is the prime age for stealing your first car. Anyway, back to this. The, the big issue we have is that we couldn't quickly vet these machines. We can't. And uh, the best chance we had of dealing with this is to build kind of a, a, a layer of isolation or abstraction. So we had provided many people SSL VPN remote connectivity but without getting into the nitty gritty details, it's much harder to do that securely than to set up what we've adopted, which is a, a you know, branded proxy to RDS solution where people basically run a shell around their RDS clients on their desktop. They launch that, it takes them to AWS hosted proxy server farms, and they use that connectivity after the connection has been scanned to move back through into their office machine. So that way they're not directly connecting to anything and they're being, all their traffic is being, I guess we could say cleaned or cleansed <laughs> on the way back and forth to the machine. And anything you can do in RDS, you can do in this solution. And it was a huge face saver for me because otherwise I was gonna have to play the guy and said, no, you can't connect these machines to work. I couldn't, I like to, I like to be security first, but it was productivity first. So my spin on productivity is that gets you up and going. This month, and I mean May, we're working on how to improve this, how to vet each machine, what can we drop in that machine silently and safely, perhaps DNS filtering clients comes to mind, and maybe eventually an ERD client uh, 
for us that's silence with InfoSight so that we have a pretty good uh, handle on whether there's something really nasty happening on the machine and then able, we're able to isolate it quickly if that does happen. But it's still a risk. Josh, I know that you do, you use three levels of security as the basis for your fundamental three levels of managed services. So was, was that a big step up in allowing these people to work securely? Because they already had the right firewall, they already had the right clients. Yeah. We're, we're very, very good about that at least. We, so everybody has at the very least in our portfolio, uh, you know, all the basic stuff an RMM agent will do, so patching and alerting. They all have EDR advanced, you know, detection and response, AV clients, and it's backed up with a SIM that will jump up and isolate a machine if there's activity discovered on it through that InfoSight client. And that's all done through, can I use names here, Carl? Sure, I'm Carl, this is Amy. All right, yeah, okay, that's a yes. So that's all done through solutions granted with Silence and InfoSight. Uh, then everybody also has DNS filter as a DNS filtering agent on all their machines. And yeah, everybody also has end user training and dark web alerting through ID agent. Uh, most of our sites, actually nearly all of them have quite a bit more going on as well. And they all have a sophisticated UTM firewall from Sonicwall. It's all current gen and it's all, all the services turned on what they call AGSS. So that, that helps, but it doesn't cleanse the endpoint. So the endpoint, the reality is we can't clean the endpoint, and that's because anything we drop on that machine, that 14-year-old twice-upgraded CEO's machine, that right. machine becomes our problem, and every problem he has with that becomes our problem from henceforth. And that is an unacceptable risk as an MSP. So I can't say I have an answer to this, but I have an idea, and we're starting to move forward. We have three levels of plans, and the middle plan is what virtually everybody's on. I hope to get every remote endpoint we support on the bottom level of plan, which had all those four things that I mentioned, such as EDR patching and all that going on. The question is, do we take the risk? Do we drop that on a machine that's six, eight, 10, 12, and literally 14 years old? I have to work through all that. Now, the good news is many of our sites were able to place little tiny four by four by one inch machines, they're called Intel NUCs at their key users' homes. And some of them bought notebooks back when I could still buy those. So we had some transition. We actually did some selling right as this transition happened to our healthier customers, simply because they wanted to provide a clean space, a clean environment in terms of the PC. But none of that addresses the actual productivity. And I've got to say that I'm happy. Most of my clients don't have good metrics because I think they would see a lot of suffered, a lot of suffering in their productivity. Even in my own staff, I know for a fact, one guy, you can't stop him. I talked about him before. And one guy, he'll do as little as you let him get away with. And then I have somebody in between. And it's something that I'm trying to manage now. Right. So um, the, I think the next big move we're all going to see is we're going to slowly start having clients go back to their old offices. Um, Amy, will that make any difference to you? Will, will anything have changed or will this just be another day in the woods? Um, you know, what I think is gonna change is we're gonna see clients have people work from home more regularly. Uh, there was a small move in that direction, but you know, like a lot of things, this is sort of gonna be a giant leap in that direction. Uh, and so one of the things that we had our 
did at our staff meeting is we started to brainstorm ideas for the home office space, right? Obviously, we all know what makes a good home office space for ourselves. And how do we translate that to our clients? And there was interesting discussion because um, two of my staff were like, well, you can't make, you know, the, the employees, they're not, they're not going to go out and buy a surface laptop or they're, they're not going to spend the money on a NUC. And it's like, well, you know, or they're not going to, they're not going to want to buy dual monitors. I said, well, if, but if we put together a package and says, you know, here's some, here's a couple permutations of, of good home office setups, how are you going to justify to the business owner your employee can be fully productive in the office with this $1,500 machine, but when they're home, they can be fully productive in the home with this $400 machine. Right. So like, how, how are you going to make that make sense? You know, how, how are you going to justify that? And um, it took people a little while to, to, to understand that. And I, I think the same is going to be the case for, for the, the business owners too to wrap their heads around the idea that they may need to supply some hardware and in good office scenarios for home, you know, and, and there has been a major shift away from desktops toward laptops. Right. So, you know, if, if you, if the business has started to do that, then populating the home office gets a lot simpler. You know, you need some kind of docking station, port replicator, a couple of nice monitors, maybe a real mouse and keyboard, maybe, maybe not. Um, you know, the scenario gets a lot simpler. But if what they have in the office are, are desktops, then um, you're looking at replicating that office environment back at the home. Because if you want the productivity to be the same, you're going to have to have the same level of equipment in both locations. Right. Well, it's also important that you don't let them think that those people are being as productive on a $400 six-year-old machine <laughs> because uh, then they, they will not, they'll be confused about the value, right? right. And it, yeah. it always has to be the, from the client's perspective, what value do I get when I give you X number of dollars per month? Um, Josh, are you, you looking forward to uh, everybody going back to their offices and real equipment? <laughs> I think most will, uh, you know, for better or for worse, we had just finished migrating every endpoint with exception of one to Windows 10. We have one Windows 8.1 endpoint out of our whole mess. So that's nice because, you know, one of the things we mandated when we did the installation of remote access is Windows 10 machines or, or Mac, Sierra, High Sierra, the, the most recent one is. The last three Mac OSs were Windows 10. And that wasn't the challenge we thought it would be because so many people had upgraded their 10-year-old machines to Windows 10. So I am looking forward to them getting back on secured and policed and managed machines. I think 90, 80 to 90% of our remote workers will come back to the office now. I think a few will remain working remotely, maybe because family situations like unemployed or not, no longer employed spouses happen. There, there are some details that are outside of the IT sphere that may direct that or influence it. But I think for the most part, things will go largely back to normal in that, that sense. I would turn this phone off and, uh, sorry. So the one thing that won't, the, the one thing that I'm interested most in seeing how this moves to is 
when we talked about, well, they won't buy a PC for their home, they won't do this, they won't do that, it's important to remind them how much money they're going to save not officing that person to begin with. Uh, and we're also kind of overlooking the fact that as we talked about having remote access, RDS, I kept mentioning, that implies that there's a target machine for them to connect to somewhere. So if they're not a fully cloud place, and in New Mexico there's not very much in the way of fully cloud place, then they still have to have an infrastructure at work. What I think we might see change is people actually putting together RDS solutions, well, requesting what we will identify as a need for RDS solutions so that they can connect remotely from their home, but not to a desktop tethered sitting in an empty office that may not be there a year from now. Uh, also I have 4,780 square feet available <laughs> in this wonderful building that I just fixed up. So I think the changes will be slower, but still fairly profound. I think at first people will largely resume where they were. And by the way, I don't think that'll be May, June, July or August. I think it'll take a lot longer than, than that, but it'll happen. I, I right. agree with I agree with you there. The the one thing I think we will see is there was a lot of jobs where we had talked to two clients about you know remote work or or that employee wanted to be able to work from home one or two or three days a week something like that, and the answer was well this job can absolutely not be done from home, <laughs> and you know it turns out we're now doing every job from home. So that turned out not to be true. And so what I think we will see is more workplace flexibility. And um, yeah, everyone should be looking askance at their office space now and saying, well, uh, how many people do I need in my office? And if I'm, if people, if we allow them to flex and work one or two or three days a week, we can probably share a lot of this office space in I don't know where you guys are at, but around here, office space is pricey. Yeah. Well, um, so there may be a lot less demand. Sorry for you, Josh, but there may be a lot less demand for office space in, but more, in the more coming demand years. More demand shared workspace that off that uh, Josh is going to set up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, one of my one of my friends works for a large tier one auto supplier, and. Um, they are making plans actively to have their their plants in their shop areas reopen, but they are not simultaneously opening their office space uh, because they, it's the plants these days. Very modern people are spaced out out there anyway. Right. But in the office, that's much harder thing to achieve, uh, and so the only places that they're going to be allowing them to come into are their hoteling spaces. Wow. Wow. All yeah, right. not looking so, to rent at this place. Sadly, we are out of time, but I'll uh, give you each a chance, uh, you know, final thoughts for folks, to, you know, in this odd working at home and getting ready to go back to the office environment. Josh? Uh, well, I think most of us probably did a really good job as MSPs of getting our, our crews, our clients, staff working remotely. So the next step is definitely to make sure they do so securely be ideal if we had done that all in one step as we would like to, but for us, it was to a large extent, you know, ready, aim, fire, now is ready, fire, aim. And now we have to get the aim a little better. I think over the next few months, as people start to transition back to the office, our new paradigm is gonna be that work anywhere thing that I mentioned early in the recording there. 
I do the work anywhere thing. As you know, I've worked in 40 states and probably 20 or 30 or 40 countries. So I'm used to that, but we have to provide these capabilities to our clients. And I've got to say that I've been probably the, the furthest thing from a cloud evangelist of anybody you know, but I will say that there's a lot of cloud to be said for the old work anywhere paradigm. Yep. So we'll, we'll, that'll be a movement that we'll have to make more quickly now. All righty, thank you. Amy? I would, uh, I would emphasize the uh, productivity aspect in making sure that people have the right equipment to be able to work from home effectively, but also um, do, not, do not forget about the fact that people feel isolated and may not be feeling like they're part of the company anymore. So if you have people working from home and if we, as this moves along and we get to that point where some people are home and some people are back at the office, change your communication structure so that everybody feels like they're still part of one, one big whole and keep that corporate culture going in creative and new ways. I agree completely. I, for me, maintaining your culture within your company is always one of the biggest things and that, that has to happen whether it's remote or in the office. Okay, thanks for being here, you guys. I appreciate it. And this is another SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.